Hello, and welcome back to another regular episode of Talkie Talk. I'm Brent. I'm here with David. David, how you doing? Hello. I'm doing great. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm also here with TJ. TJ, how's it, how's it going? It's going good. I'm also alive. Low low uh, hurdle so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, Aim small, miss small. It's, uh, it has been a little longer... Uh, between these, uh, the last episode and this one, than uh, than we are used to uh, with our podcast, it's been. Uh, do you want this in like days or do you want this in rent hours? I was gonna say, can you it's sing it? And one million five hundred sixty-six thousand seven hundred twenty minutes since we last recorded in on uh, July 9th, twenty twenty. So it's, uh, we're coming up on the three-year anniversary of our last episode. Yeah. Three times as long as Rent sang about. That's right. We got that. <laughs> so anyway, we're, uh, we, we picked out a movie. We decided to watch it, and we're going to talk about it just like always. We're watching Ocean's Eleven. Well, actually, we already watched it. Don't worry. We're not watching it on this podcast. We already took care of that for you. Live watch? This could, yeah. Could, we're, we're, this is not a, uh, an audio commentary for you to play alongside the movie. Um, but before we get to Ocean's Eleven, and uh, we're, we're talking about the 2001 Steven Soderbergh remake of Ocean's Eleven, um, not the Rat Pack original from 1960-something? 60? Um, I'll talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I don't know anything about that movie. Uh, but first, as always, we start with uh, what we've been watching. And David, you watched something this week. What'd you watch? I did. I uh, logged into Paramount Plus, and I checked out Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. A tw- one of only three 2023 movies I think I've seen all year. Is it the best 2023 movie you've seen? Uh, it's either that or I also saw Air when oh, it came out yeah. like a month ago. Air's good. It's one of those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're both uh, they're both there. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It's uh, it's I I kind of liked it. Um, it was uh, trying to be fun, which was kind of nice for a kind of big blockbuster movie. Trying to be fun instead of grim or connected to something. That's shots, I guess, at DC and Marvel at the same time there. Yeah, it's, um, it's nice. It was really silly, and uh, I kind of like that. It was a breezy watch. I've also, in the last uh, within the last three years, really gotten into uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, play podcasts I forgot what you call them but critical role and dimension 20 and a bunch of things like that and it it does feel uh i think in your i saw your letterbox review brent in in your thing it kind of it felt like a little bit of a play session like mm. listening to some people how they're how they're going through it like mm-hmm. trying to do a heist and then like that goes wrong and they got to come up with another plan on the fly and people leveling up and i, I did appreciate that part of it in the little uh little nods to some some of the Dungeons and Dragons stuff um, I don't know I liked it what, what did uh, <laughs> there's not I don't have that much more to say about it than that but like I'm glad there's a fun movie to watch that is like kind that kind of cares a little bit and is uh, is kind of funny it tries to be funny here and there and I think it kind of it kind of works it's it's humorous in parts and and Chris Pine is uh, is you know, doing doing the best of the curses right now. I think he's the yeah. legal leader right now in active cursing. I thought maybe every joke didn't land, but the few that did really landed hard for me. Like they 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 
they really tickled me. I really like the um, like the melting singer, uh, the whatever whatever you want to call that spell that he casts to uh, distract them. Yeah, that would be like a great way to um, demonstrate uh, like two roll from a <laughs> yeah. dungeon master. Yeah, and that's what it yeah. felt like. I think it, I talked to TJ about this movie when we when we both saw it, which was I guess a couple months ago, and. Um, that was the thing, David. What you mentioned that from my review that that really struck me about it was you could it really felt like a a cinematic adaptation of a possible game, which felt really cool to me. I don't know. I really like that. You could see yeah. the you could see the failures. You saw a character level up at one point, which was really cool. And uh, even, as someone who doesn't have much experience with D and D, I've listened to one season of the Adventure Zone, which I really liked, and that's about it as far as my experience with D and D uh, and, but I, I still felt um, like I had enough familiarity with it. And uh, the movie doesn't delve too deeply into the lore without like, it helps you out. Like it doesn't, you don't, you don't have to know much about D and D to what to enjoy honor among thieves. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the, it, it's just kind of a bonus. Sorry. Yeah. I think some of the, so, some of the jokes that hit, just to piggyback off your point, Brett, that I'm sure there were jokes that I that were D and D funny that I didn't get, but I think there were also jokes that I knew were D and D funny. I've DM'd like a lazy man's game of D and D that Brett probably didn't get, and I think those jokes hit for both of us. I think they did a good job of that. Brent, when me and you talked, you made a really good point that I didn't think about while I was watching it, but that it it, it did a really good job of making fun of D and D without making fun of people who play D and D. Yes. Hmm. And that was really kind of the only impressive part of the movie for me. I thought it was they, they could have t- easily just poked fun at nerds. Yeah, I, you know? I don't like it when movies punch down at their like at their audience like that. It's mean spirited, yeah. and this one did not. Right. That, that, I feel like that happened a lot of the old like video game adaptations of movies, like making fun of people who are actually into the thing, and that does a good job with it. And I thought like another thing that reminded me of of the kind of stuff that like a, a Dungeons and Dragons game would play like when they're on the bridge and they have like the uh, you know the bridge completely falls apart and then they have like a quick shortcut it's like that that totally happens like a DM has this crazy puzzle and then they just you come up with a weird shortcut that kind of works like you roll well on it it's like okay you've skirted this brilliant puzzle that I made and you just keep right. going like <clears throat> I don't know yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it yeah, it was fun. I also think it was probably one of those movies that I enjoyed watching and wasn't bored while watching it, and then kind of promptly forgot about it. Haven't thought much about it since. Yeah, it's fun. It's not a very thought-provoking movie. In fact, uh, it's a not very thought-provoking movie that's a lot of fun that's about a heist, and so it's sort of a perfect uh, <laughs> movie that David watched before talking about Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, it's near the top of my 2023 movies as well. I think I liked Air a just a tad better even though there are elements of that movie that I that really annoyed me but I still think I liked it just a, a slightly better my wife actually really liked um, Dungeons and Dragons a lot more than I expected her to because she doesn't normally go for the sword and sorcery action movies but she really enjoyed it I'm real bad at keeping my letterbox up to date so I pulled up my Excel sheet for 2023 movies which only has three movies on it right now I think I've seen about 11 and I don't even remember watching one of these movies <laughs> I don't I don't know what the movie is to be honest with you True Spirit do y'all know what that movie <laughs> Never is heard of that 
Uh, okay. No. Well, I'll, I'll Google good. it for sure, though, right now. <laughs> oh, it's a movie about the girl who tried to sail around the world. It was real bad. Yeah. Netflix. Yep. Who starts? Who's I think I watched it on, like, January 3rd or something. Um, somebody you know, but not in the lead role. Because it's about a, a Australian, or maybe from New Zealand, like a girl who tries to circumnavigate the globe. The actual story of that is actually really interesting, and I would recommend reading the wiki page about her. Mm-hmm. But the movie, you could probably skip. Tegan Croft is the lead. Jessica Watson is the actual girl who did it. Uh, Anna Paquin is the only name I really recognize. Cliff Curtis, too. Oh, yeah, Cliff Curtis. Yeah. I always feel really bad because Cliff Curtis, I feel like, is just... And it's never because of him, but I feel like Cliff Curtis is always just in a lot of really bad movies. Whenever I think of Cliff Curtis, I think of, saying Clifton Collins... So but that's very a different actor. Different yeah. character actor guy who's also good. Now I'm making sure that I wasn't thinking of Clifton Collins. I don't think I was. I think it was Cliff Curtis is in like 10,000 BC, I think. And um, Clifton Collins is in. The only movie I can think of right now is uh, the James Gandolfini, Robert Redford. The Last Castle? Uh, military. Yeah. Hmm. He plays the guy who is mentally challenged, who gets a rubber bullet to the head. That prompts Robert Redford to I don't know, fight James Gandolfini. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. The fist fight at a castle. Yeah. Delroy Lindo is there. I don't know much about that movie. Do we have any breezy on the streets and anybody prepared? I did not. Any any news? I mean over over the last three years, <laughs> lots happened. <laughs> I want I want TJ to do a like uh, Marilyn Monroe <laughs> the last three years. <laughs> I was going to say, we'll do a yeah, real, we'll a really quick... Slap Chris Rock. That was crazy. We'll do a really quick in memoriam for three years of, of actors yeah. and actresses and directors. I was about to say, like, Alan Arkin just passed away, but then there's, like, three years of, of people that all, that also happened to. And it always seems more better, Breezy on the Streets, just being, oh, man, this guy, this person died. That's true. Yeah, why well, can't we talk about good actors being born this week? <laughs> Let me just do a real quick run through of all the kids born this week. I'll go back in at a later point and edit out the ones who don't become famous. Famous. If we want to do another draft on the podcast, we can just draft the babies. Yeah. <laughs> For most draft, famous. Draft baby names. Then any people born with that name, we get their points. Right. Oh, man. Okay, so let's get to our review of Ocean's Eleven 2001. We thought as we got the gang back together... We thought it'd be fun to do a uh, a movie about, you know, getting the gang back together for, or I guess, com- you know, pulling a gang together for a, uh, a fun job. And uh, Ocean's Eleven seemed to be an easy, nice, fun watch to get us back into this podcasting mode. So uh, I'll start with uh, asking you guys, what was your what was your prior experience with this movie, and what were your expectations leading into this watch? We'll start with TJ. Uh man, my prior experience with this movie, I've probably seen this movie thirty or forty times. It seems like it was always on like TNT on Sunday afternoons, uh, growing up and in my in my tw- growing up in high school and in my twenties. Expectations going into the watch is interesting because I 
knew that this movie is probably the most like rewatchable of the century for me. It's just so easy to watch. So it was fun looking for... Honestly, when I first watched it, I watched the movie two or three times in prep for the podcast. And the first time I was like, I'm going to actually pay attention to the heist because I don't think I understand all the bits and pieces. And I was wondering if there was any foreshadowing for any of the twist, which I didn't know about. And there were for most of them in my mind. Um, but the I paid a lot of attention to the heist uh, this time because the, the, the expectations for this movie were... I mean, non-existent at this point. I think I could have recited most of the scenes in my head. What about you, David? Uh, before watching. Um, first time watch. No. Uh, watched it uh, a couple times. I'm trying to think. I think I had this on DVD, like the cheap DVD with like the little flat board cover, where uh, it's like one side is widescreen, the other side's the other. You know, yeah. old school. Um. You mean you played the first five seconds of Little Less Conversation over and over and over again? Yeah, yeah. Definitely woken up to that a couple times. Yeah. Um, Watched it a good bit, and actually the last time I kind of logged it on Letterboxd, I'm a habitual Letterboxer for for watching (laughs) stuff, was in the the pandemic. I was was watching a bunch of series because it's, you know, what, what else were we doing? And I watched uh, 11, 12, and 13. I think uh, the, the actually the summer of uh, 2020, right around there. <clears throat> um, I watched it this time, kind of just wondering. The last time I watched it, it was kind of just junk food. Maybe not elevated junk food, maybe. Food, food that just tastes good because I was just, you know, just watching a movie. This time I was, I was watching it to, to figure out, does it hold up or do I just enjoy it? Like... Is it is it a product of its time? Has it has it, uh, you know? I was kind of kind of watching it for that this time. Like, would would it uh, if it came out nowadays? Would it still kind of hit the same way? That that kind of thing. And uh, I say yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, I'm sort of in the same boat as you guys. I've seen this movie many times. Uh, I think I saw it in theaters in 2001 and immediately got it on dvd as soon as it came out because i loved it at the time it's a really fun movie and um i've seen it probably less than tj and probably more than david over the years i do have a funny story you mentioned the the dvd which i I remember the the dvd case for this very very well because um true story my mom kept buying this movie for herself when she would see it in the stores and never remembered that she had it or that she owned it um and then at one point uh, she bought it as a gift and then lost it and then bought it again as a gift to replace the one that she had lost and lost that one too maybe and then um, wound up finding them and so mom, my mom has like five copies of the DVD of Ocean's Eleven because she bought it for herself yeah. Ocean's 55 yeah. 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 <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a con <laughs> it does um but yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. I had a lot of experience with this, and uh, it I, it has been a few years since I've seen it though. So it was fun jumping back in with these characters that I knew I would enjoy and uh, have fun spending time with. So um, TJ, what would your review of this movie be? How, how do you go about reviewing a movie that is just something that you already knew so well? I mean, you could look at like why why have you seen it so many times, and, and I think that the reason is is. Brent liked my letterbox review from like 2018 
the last time I logged this movie in Letterboxd. And I read my review, and it was like, the pacing and editing is incredible, and there should be more movies like this. And I was like, yeah, I was right back then. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, the We could talk about the cast, and I know we will. I don't know that they have a whole lot to do with its rewatchability. Um, they're great, all of them, pretty much. And I think the the star of this is just the the movie feels like it's sixty minutes long still yeah. every time I watch it. It's it just fly. flies by. Mm-hmm. There's no downtime, and even in the scenes that I feel like don't really progress the story are probably some of my favorite scenes in the movie. The Danny and Tess at dinner is fantastic, uh, and then I mean I, I think my favorite scene of the the film is probably. Um, Rusty teaching Hollywood actors how to play poker, which so doesn't have anything to do with the plot of the movie, but it's, I think, my favorite scene. So I think they do a good job of, of what could be called filler is just so damn good that that the movie's over kind of when it starts. I don't, I'm not a guy for podcasts who's going to watch any movie three or four times leading up to the recording, but I did with this movie because it's David said it before we started recording. Like, why not? Yeah, <laughs> just throw it on while I'm doing the dishes. It'll be over. Yeah, David, what what would your initial review of it be? It uh, it for my thing. What I was doing, like, does it still hold up? Yes, it still holds up. And I think part of it is, I do think that the movie star part does help. I think it's part of the power of movie stars in a time when movie stars kind of... I'm sounding old Hollywood, but when movie stars mattered. But, like, the charisma of uh, movie stars, like, iconography and, like, they're tapping into their charisma, you really feel it here, especially all the pairings of people and, like, the pairing of Clooney and Pitt is just... You know, being dropped in like in media res, like in the middle of their relationship, everyone refers to things that have happened in the past, just like, you know, obliquely, like the that thing in you know, thanks for that thing you guys did for me. Oh, I've never been to Belize, and like all the little tossed off things about this like shared history that you just feel versus like mm-hmm. what you're told. Um, they convey it so well, uh, and it it feels like hanging out with friends, which is I think why this thing holds up. Um, Getting to, you know, the the Malloy twins bickering, like all the all the stuff, uh, you know, young Matt Damon coming up as like a thief and like being added to this new class of movie stars at this point. That's kind of what it feels like, like tapping into the power of movie stars. The other thing is like it it's it feels really timeless, despite like being really flashy. You know, a lot of the editing is kind of flashy, the Soderbergh and like split screens and like the the music and the you know, the colors of scenes, like, shifting and all that. But it it still feels, like, timeless. Like, it's, it's it feels like it's showing a Las Vegas that that maybe wasn't really around in 2001. Maybe, like, hearkening back to, like, the Las Vegas from 1960 from the original and with, but with modern characters or a modern setting. Like, there's no, like... You never see buffets or like DJs, and you definitely see that in two thousand one. The the most like, the for, most realistic the most realistic thing about Vegas, I feel like that's in this movie is a floor completely littered with uh, ads for hookers because <laughs> those things are everywhere. I guess I guess there there is that here, and there. That's it. but it feels like a, a 
Las Vegas at a time, and just like just the the classiest filter that that you could have um, for those images, making your little Ocean's Eleven coffee. I don't know. I think I agree. I agree with so, kind of what yeah. you're both saying about the cast, which is like I I think. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong. I think what TJ's kind of getting at is like the the cast. That the specific castings may not be that important to the roles, uh, like to like bring in the characters to life, because I think it is such a well-written movie in terms of like writing a team. That I think maybe there are three or four casting choices that I think are really important to this movie. But other than that, the rest of the team is kind of. I mean, they're. I think they were they were gonna be good, no matter who you got for some of these roles. But the cast that they did get was really good, and it helps that um, almost all these people were uh, already recognizable or would become more recognizable over time. And it wound up being a kind of one of the great ensemble casts, I think, of its era. Maybe, maybe the best. I do really like the cast. And, um, you know, TJ mentioned the editing, and I think that is the most underrated part of Ocean's Eleven. I think that, you know, when I when I first looked at this after we chose this movie, I thought, oh, is this eligible for Here Are the Nominees? Because I thought we could, you know, even when we do a talkie talk movie that has Oscar nominations, um, we could still double do a double, you know, make it where it goes onto the Here Are the Nominees um, podcast feed as well. And... I looked and this was not nominated for an Academy Award, which didn't shock me because there's really nothing about it that jumps out in that flashy kind of way that the Oscars tend to um, respect. But if something did, I think I might pick the editing as the as my favorite, like award worthy aspect of this movie, just because I think this movie has to lay out a really complex plot Uh, and it has to lay it out in an order that makes sense to us, but also keeps us in suspense. And uh, I, I was very impressed by that. I was very impressed by the structure of the movie. And I think that TJ's point about the editing really, I wrote that down while I was listening to him talk. So I was like, yeah, that's, that is, I, I don't think I'd picked up on it before, but I think that's, uh, it's an incredibly well edited movie. I think because it's, there's just, the nature of heist movies like they they need to be pretty well edited or else they might get boring and this one isn't boring i will agree but i only thing i I disagree i guess a little bit about is i i think the editing is flashy like there's the the editing goes it's like visually edited yes versus like maybe like a um like a diehard, which is like edited lean, and like this is also a very lean edited movie. Like the pacing is great, but it is—I think it is full of of Soderbergh's little little uh, tricks that he he loves doing. Like this is where yeah. the uh, like the the joke or the not the joke, but the like the calling of of Soderbergh, where it's like the mirrored things, and you have like the squares of things. You know, I'm, I'm talking with my hands on a podcast. This is great. Right? <laughs> but oh, the, you, the screen being pa- like, bisected yeah. and like rolling, yeah, and like some some like color flashes are are. I, I think it is flashy, but I think it's for a point. Like it's a heist movie in Vegas. Yeah. I think it's on brand to have flashy editing, 
especially given that the editing it makes the the movie lean and kind of you know propulsive and even though we're going from like you know the prison to LA to Las Vegas to like uh, popping all over and like gathering the crew it's still like it's it's snapping yeah it fits the movie because you know there's when there's three images on your screen or four in, in like corners of the screen or whatever that's a lot going on there's a lot going on for you to keep track of but there's also a lot a lot of side missions that lead to the main mission that the the Danny Ocean or whoever has to keep track of. So I think it really fits the movie that the editing is flashy like that. Also, I mean, it's flashy. It's Vegas. Yeah, I, I like I like I like. Although that's not really what I was. The style of the editing isn't what I was thinking about when I was saying I really like the editing. I think it was just more of just the laying out the sequence of what you find out when you find out is the thing I, I really like. Oh, but David, when you were talking, you mentioned, um, you mentioned how this movie is timeless. And I did write this down because this movie is timeless, except for two things. There are two things which very starkly put this movie into a, like, Oh, this obviously came out at this time period. And that is the young stars from the WB or the CW or whatever that are learning to play poker. <laughs> they're really thinking these people are going to be like, on the upper, on the like these these guys are probably going to be the stars of Ocean's Fifteen, right? Like this is this is the these are the real up and comers, and I had to look up some of these people to figure out why they were famous. Dude, I think that plays now in a way it didn't play in two thousand one. Right? I think in two thousand one you thought they were stars, and now it's great because you're like, oh, these has-beens are. I feel bad trying to learn poker. Rusty hustling these people who think they're like they're the thing. And the funniest line, which I don't remember like listening to or really getting before, is when uh, when Danny Ocean comes to the table after like Rusty comes back, and he's uh, uh, Danny is talking to Topher Grace, and it's like, is it hard to transfer to transition from TV to film? And he's like, not for me, man. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> called that one too soon, Toph. I love the little meta in jokes of that scene, yeah. like like that. I mean, Clooney. There was so much press with Clooney going from TV to movies. That was like, I remember, yeah. I had, we used to get Entertainment Weekly back then, and I remember that would be like a frequent magazine topic of just like, Clooney's going to the movies now. How's this going to work? This guy was in the Killer Tomato movie. Um, but he, uh, yeah, it's so funny that like, I, I caught that line too, David, and it made me really laugh. And then, of course, my favorite scene from the nightclub is when they walk out and the crowd goes nuts for Topher Grace while George Clooney and Brad Pitt walk by <laughs> unnoticed. I love that. What were you about to say, TJ? What was from? I was I was going to say what's more believable the in 2023 the crowd going wild for Topher Grace or Tess not having a cell phone. That's the other thing I was just about to say. Yeah. But it's a, okay. So like this this movie occurs in a time when people are walking around with cell phones and they're not talking about how cool it is that they have cell phones and no one's remarking mm-hmm. about the cell phones. But also, it has to. It was still at a time when it was believable for someone, for an adult human, to say, "I don't own a cell phone." So there is a very small gap there where cell phones were not like novelty items for, for like, you know, when Rusty pulls one out, another character is like, "Whoa, you got a wireless phone there? How do you get that?" Thanks, Nokia or whoever. But uh, at yeah. the same time, Tess, like nobody laughs at Tess when she's like, "I don't have a phone." They're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, people don't have phones." It's 2001 and like six 
six later, it's not to jump to Ocean's 13, but there's like a plot point about getting the new Samsung thing, <laughs> and it's this like little brick. It's like, that's the thing. It's like how, what makes it kind of feel timeless is like five years later, like it would have been cell phones and people pulling out like Nokia sidekicks as like part of the heist. And it would like take you out. But it's like right at that cusp of technology. Maybe it's just like for for me or for people my age that it feels timeless. Maybe it, it feels like ancient to people nowadays. But it's like it's right under that cusp of cell phones would have to be part of the heist. The, the tech in the movie all around does a really good job of not aging itself, I mm-hmm. think. Um, probably, I mean, that's got to be luck, but it works for that. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and also, it David... It really believable because some of the stuff, like, you, you consider, like, okay, they're improvising some of this stuff. Like, Livingston Dell is, like, could be making his own version of a thing. You know, it can fly under the radar of uh, plausibility pretty easy that way. I never really gave my like review, but and there's really not much more than like what you guys have been saying too. But I I think that this movie really works, and I think that for me the reason it works is um, I do think George Clooney as Danny Ocean is is perfect casting. That Julia Roberts actually in this movie I think she doesn't have a lot of time on screen to establish her relationship with Danny and to, there's not a lot of like pointed dialogue for them to establish that old connection. And I think that the two of them managed to have so much chemistry in their few moments together that it really goes a long way because the movie doesn't spend a lot of time on their relationship. And ultimately I think that's what the whole heist is about is about Tess. And I think that, for them to really make that connect in such a small amount of time on screen is very impressive. And I think that speaks to kind of this, it helps that their star quality was right on par with each other. One doesn't sort of loom over the other. They're both, you can see how they're both sort of mountains in each other's eyes. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's really impressive. And then also I think Andy Garcia as Terry Benedict is fantastic because he has to Terry Benedict has to be believably all knowing almost so that you you buy into how difficult the heist is going to be and I think Andy Garcia nails that and I think that um, Terry Benedict is maybe more than Andy Garcia Terry Benedict is is sort of a, a really important fulcrum point for this movie because I think that as something I think that David you will probably talk about later um, you know we the audience are fooled some in this movie and I think I think we have to be because we believe that Terry Benedict is almost like immune to being fooled so in order for us to buy that he would be fooled by this I think we have to be fooled a little bit but really it's just us I think it's us fooling ourselves a little bit in this movie but I think the movie invites us to do that at times is it's I don't think this movie is dishonest with what it shows us but I think it creates the opportunities for people watching it to just sort of um, um, you know not see things coming I think it goes hand in hand with the antagonist of the movie because I think he really is he is built up at the start you know with uh, Elliot Gould talking about him like when you're going after Terry Benedict you better know and um, 
Sorry, we're a clean podcast now, so I couldn't I couldn't do the exact <laughs> quote. Um, but anyway, the only quote you couldn't do in the movie. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, anyway, that was just something I I, I I thought about this week leading up to the podcast was just how like this is you know I've I've felt at times like the I didn't pick up on what was happening, but it, I think it's okay because as uh, I think the movie is in part about creating an illusion for the viewers as well. I think we're we get to experience the heist from Terry's point of view, which is, which is uh, pretty fun. I think it helps. It helps add to I'll the magic. I'll say this about, about, about the Andy Garcia of it all too. I do think he's a good choice for this. Cause you need somebody who's kind of dark and menacing without wanting to chew up the screen when they're on yeah. it. And he does a really good job of just like being the guy who runs the casino. And that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not, he doesn't do anything close to overacting at any point in this movie. Um, in a uh, rip it, rip it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, in a in a movie where there are people who do, uh, you know, overact, and there are some of those people that need to overact at certain yeah. times. Just the character of Perry Benedict isn't mm-hmm. isn't one of them, and he does a great job of just being pretty stoic throughout the whole thing. Yeah, it's 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 kind of it's perfect, right? He's their he's their he's their opposite. He's their foil. They're a bunch of charmers and confidence men, and he is the absence of charm. He is like anti charisma, but kind of on purpose. It's that uh, you know they call him a robot. You need a robot to go up against these charmers, and so you have that like the the yin and yang of this movie. So it's well put. Um, do you think there's anything more to what this movie is about, like thematically? Or is this pure entertainment? And I don't think there's anything wrong if it is pure entertainment. I think Soderbergh has called it pure entertainment, and that's what he was going for. And I got he nailed it. If if that is all he was going for, but could you make it's just a, a joyride, man? <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's it's just fun. I mean, I think there might be a little bit into that. Like they do have some lucky things that break their way, and there's like a Vegas tie into that, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I mean, this movie's just just fun. Yeah. I mean, if there was much more, it wouldn't be as rewatchable as it is. I don't That's think. true. I did think I was trying to come up with something thematically about this movie, and I thought, okay, well, there's nothing like in the text of the movie that's about really anything. I said, but if it, I'm trying to create subtext where there's probably none, but I did think this could be a fun metaphor for the act of making movies, which is you assemble a team of skilled craftsmen to create an illusion for an audience. The audience and the plot being Terry Benedict, but you know, normally being us, and it's about making them see things that they're not really seeing, which is uh, I don't know integral to movie making. Again, probably not a thing that was really on the minds of the people making the movie, but it's uh, it's also one of those things where it's like I don't know, you could probably make most movies. You could you could try to convince me that most movies are about making movies because most artists' art is about themselves. I wouldn't be surprised if that was on the minds of the filmmakers because it, it definitely is an Ocean's 12. There's no way it's not, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, after watching that movie in the past couple of weeks, too. Uh, it's more on point. I've got fireworks going on outside of my house, Here. I guess. I haven't heard them. Is there a holiday coming up that's fireworks related? Well, it's the three-year anniversary of the uh, last Talkie Talk episode <laughs> that people are probably gearing up for. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I do think that you you might be onto something there. I don't see it as much, and I mean you, I know I've chatted Brent uh, about that, and I don't see it as much as 
I have a hard time tying it together in this, but I don't have a hard time tying it together in 12, and that makes me think that there could have been something to that in Ocean's Eleven. Okay, so you brought up 12, and that's a, uh, it's a movie I've not seen in a long time. I haven't seen 12 or 13. I saw 8 when it came out, and I've never seen the original Ocean's Eleven. But I think both of you are fully caught up on the series, right? Yeah, I've, I, I've seen all five in the last two weeks. I saw all of them except the original Ocean's Eleven within the last two weeks. I, I, I really don't remember a ton from those movies. So how are they as sequels to Ocean's Eleven? So they'll tie it to Ocean's Eleven. Like, how do they start with 12 and 13, and then maybe to a lesser degree, 8, and just, like, how well do they work as... Do they feel more like sequel sequels, or do they feel more like parts of a trilogy with this? I will say one one thing. Okay. Sorry to jump in. When I watched it in 2020, when I watched all of them in a row, I had, like, a... a uh, dawning realization that I think that I thought 12 was the best one out of the <clears throat> watching them all three back to back that 12 was the best and I, I, that's what I came into watching these ones thinking okay well 12 is my favorite and I think it's I think it's a lot closer now um, I still I still think probably probably 11's a little better than 12 but I I know a lot of people rag on 12 but I love how um, how into the con the movie is on the audience. It takes that part of this movie and makes an entire movie out of it. Like you thought it was something about like you, you think it's clever that something was happening and didn't even know what's going on. It's completely absurd in, in 12, but it goes for it because yeah. a lot of this in is. In 12, absurd. the thing that's going on doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, all, mean, a, which it's is, all a performance. Yeah. Spoilers uh, for 12. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it works. I mean, the only thing I think twelve has the funniest parts of the trilogy mm-hmm. uh, in it. Um, the the bit with Damon and Clooney and Pitt and uh, man, what's his name? The guy who played Hagrid passed Robbie, away. Recently. Robbie Coltrane. Yeah, that scene is fantastic. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, the introduction of um, uh, Linus's mother is really mm-hmm. good, and that bit is really funny. Um, the one thing that bugged me with 12 though David is that the setup for it just goes against everything in Ocean's Eleven and I, I didn't really notice that until this movie but like the point of the movie being like well if Benedict just finds us he can just ask for his money back and he'll kill us is crazy to me especially when Bernie Mac's character is running a nail salon that's just like nails by Frank <laughs> didn't even change his name I mean he must have been the easiest one for Benedict to find <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's a valid point, but it's like, what would happen after Ocean's Eleven if they steal all this money? Like, no, I know, and you know, I, I know we all hate like, don't just poke holes in a movie to poke holes in a movie. But I sat down to watch Ocean's Eleven Twelve, and I'd seen that movie several times too. And the first thing that popped in my head was like, wait a minute. <laughs> after yeah. they left the fountain, they just got found. Yeah, I used to ask a question like, did this need to be a movie? And Twelve definitely fails it. You you don't need an Ocean's Twelve to be fair, but. But if I do, I do, I do like 12. <laughs> I think it's my least favorite of the trilogy, uh, honestly, although I think all, all three of those movies are, are pretty close for me. I, I have, in, in kind of thinking back on it now, I have trouble disassociating some of 11 and 13 a little bit. Thir- 13 is almost a remake of 11. 
in a little bit. Like, Saul is kicked out of his own casino by this person they kind of get over in Las Vegas, and they got to pull a bunch of stuff. And I mean, part no, of that Saul. is... Uh, Elliot Gould's El- Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ruben. Yeah. Ruben, sorry. Ruben. <clears throat> a lot of it is 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 kind of the, the same kind of territory. Some of it is just because it's a heist movie. Some of it is just it's a touchstone of the Oceans movies. But I, I, thirteen has a little more of a Robin Hood feel, which I think I enjoy a little bit more. They're not benefiting from the heist right. this time. They're they're letting um, the house. They're letting all the people win, and the, shots the heist are, is the house. The house loses. Yeah, that's the heist. Uh, and I do. I enjoyed that. That's why I would give it just a, a little bit of a tick over twelve. I think. So TJ, your preference is 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 eleven, then thirteen, then twelve. Where does where does eight, and then the numerical eleven fit in? to your ranking man i'm not a big fan of either one of those movies i've watched this is my second watch of eight i've never seen the original oceans 11 before uh the original oceans 11 is pretty boring uh but i think it's slightly better than eight eight has some just weird dialogue that is is strange that kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit like all the best hackers are russian I, i was trying to figure out if there was something going on when the movie came out that meant that I didn't understand, but then they get a, supposedly the best hacker. And Rihanna's not Russian. Yeah, there, there's <laughs> a clear awesome. clear difference in the writing and direction and like the feel for the movie because the uh, the building the crew thing. You're supposed to have some people who've known each other for like a bunch of jobs and known each other for 15 years, and they feel like absolute strangers meeting for the very first time. Which is something that Ocean's Eleven like nails the the history between all these guys, these connections, these backstories, these <clears throat> good jobs and bad jobs. You feel that without without hearing very much. And eight eight takes a lot of pains to be like, we used to do jobs together. And like, remember that job? And hey, we always do jobs. This is our place. We did the jobs. And it's just the, it's the, charmless. Totally, totally agree, man. The meeting at Ruben's house in the beginning of Ocean's Eleven feels like it's a bunch of pros getting together to figure out how to do this thing. Yeah. And in Ocean Eight, it feels like uh, they're showing a house or something. It just feels like awful. Uh, it feels like outside of the main two was Sandra Bullock and and Kate Blanchett that nobody knows what is going on. Mm-hmm. I do remember when I watched Eight. I, I I don't remember much of the plot, if anything. Um, but I do remember that. I did think Rihanna was my example of, okay, somebody messed, they needed somebody on set to say like, this is a movie about, I mean, I don't even know if it was in Vegas, but it's typically, it's a, it's a, it's a movie with glamorous aspects to it. And you have one of the most glamorous, it's at the Met Gala, right? (laughs) You have one of the most glamorous human beings on earth in Rihanna. And you stuck her in baggy right. clothes and put her in a corner at a computer for your movie. And it's like I feel like that's a misappropriation of your cast a little bit. Like you've you've misused <laughs> your cast because you got somebody who is. It's it's sort of like a perfect vehicle for Rihanna who doesn't have a ton of acting experience and had has had some misfires like Battleship along the way, and it's a chance to really like make Rihanna sparkle in a movie. And as she's in like a she, I don't know she's dressed like a Nirvana fan from 1993. She's like a flannel shirt the whole movie. And it's... Oceans... It's it's like Oceans 11 highlights everyone's best things they bring to their craft. Yes. Versus 8 hides everything (laughs) that that they do well. Like, Sandra Bullock is, is very charismatic and can be incredibly funny with just like, you know, 
you know, being a big Sandy B fan with just like a, a facial expression, and she's humorless and like out for revenge, and like Kate Blanchett is. Like has a terrible American accent. It's like you're hiding all of your actors. That I love all of those actresses, yeah. but uh, like Sarah Paulson is also in it, and it's just completely wasted. I wanted to like it. I wanted it to be a little gem that that uh, I don't know. Men's rights activists really said you can't have female oceans. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I really did too. Yeah. It was really disappointing uh, I when like I didn't like that like, or Ghostbusters all that much. It's like, man, it's okay. Listen, I don't love these movies, and it's not for the reason that a lot of white men don't love these movies. Ghostbusters was especially made me feel especially bad because I was like, oh no, the funniest part of this movie is the guy. <laughs> it's the dude in it. He's the funniest part. I don't want no. him to be. I know. Uh, I feel like a, like a if you just want to take a little slice of Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Eight, and then you know compare that and run that data out for the rest of the movie and it'll be pretty accurate is just watch the scene where uh danny ocean talks to the parole board and watch the scene where sandra ocean watch <laughs> talks to the parole board sandy and, ocean uh, you, yeah that's not her name i don't know what her name is it's pacific <laughs> but uh that those two scenes kind of tell you all you need to know about how those movies were 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 made I do think the original Ocean's Eleven is, is better than Ocean's Eight, but it is not nearly as fun or rewatchable. It's a sad movie. There's there's death and widows and things involved. And mm. I don't have a whole lot to say about it except a lot of those guys aren't the best actors and Yeah. They they wanted to make a, a Vegas movie and they they did it. <laughs> I heard a on a podcast that Ted Griffin who wrote the tr- now I gotta like get my timelines right. The 2001 Ocean's Eleven movie said that you know they were approaching for remaking this, and he thought it was a great idea because you should remake movies that didn't work, like didn't work the first time. As like you know whatever you can, I think you can remake whatever you want. But that's what the writer was bringing to it is like there's maybe some good bones there that you could turn into an interesting story with, you know the right. The right momentum behind it, the right director, the right the right people. Yeah, making it a cool con man movie definitely works a lot better than the original Ocean's Eleven. They're all uh, ex military, um, and they're like, we have the training, we could pull off the perfect heist. It's that kind of thing, and it just doesn't work quite as well. Mm. Imagine is there is there a lot more like guns in the original one? That's something that's like nice in this movie, like the the guards and there's the SWAT scene where they simulate the gunfire, but there's not a lot of like shootouts in hallways and whatnot. Yeah, there's there's more violence in the first one, not a ton, but it's it's there. Uh, George Clooney and Danny Ocean tells you he need he needs guns, kind of. That's beginning. true. Yeah, it yeah. telegraphs it in a way that you don't pick up on unless you've already seen the end of the movie. Yeah, they do it rebuilding the vault too. The for practice, sort of. Sort of, yeah. Um, okay, so when it comes to heist movies, um, do you have any other heist movies that you would consider favorite heist movies? And just sort of like, what do you look for from a, a heist movie? And what what separates the good ones from the ones that you don't love as much? David? Um, like, why, why does Ocean's Eleven work so well in this in this genre it's micro genre 
I think the heist is somewhat irrelevant for me. Is if you take the heist out, like the, the, the take, like what the what they're going for, yeah. yeah. Do you still do you root for these characters? Like, that's that's the kind of heist movies I like. If you take that out, because most of them are completely convoluted, don't make sense. Like the first time when I saw this movie and I was sixteen, I didn't really understand. <laughs> I didn't either. What, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how they did it. And like Ocean's Ocean's Twelve, like I think I finally understand it after like watching it four or five times, like in my late thirties. But if you take that out, you got to have compelling characters that are interesting and unique, and it's it's got to that kind of stuff's got to feel real. And for me, like I love a good uh, building the crew scene. If you're building the crew scene is is good. If that's like one of the highlights, then then I'm in. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was about to write it down, but there was silence, so I'll just say it. Yeah, team building is like a one. What makes movies like this fun? It's what made Guardians of the Galaxy fun. It's what mm-hmm. made you know, Logan Lucky fun. Mm-hmm. Um, movies in recent years, anyway, uh, did a really good job with that yeah the team is is sort of the it's the most important thing is I mean, there's always the leader of the team and then there's the team um another movie i think that has a really good team that's a heist movie is uh, is widows widows is really good um it's a movie i liked a lot and it's a little it kind of takes a different angle at that which is they're not they're not in it for the score or the the, the thrill of it they're just in it to survive but they're um it's a team of i don't know if you've seen widows but it's about a team of uh um, wives and girlfriends of a heist crew that all get killed on the job. The the heist crew all gets killed on the job, and the widows of the crew have to get together and perform their own heist to get sort of the Terry Benedict character off their backs. And uh, it's really good. Sneakers is another movie that I adore, and I've always been a big fan of. The old Brent favorite. And yeah. Robert Redford as the leader of the sneakers, and then just Again, it's it's one where everybody has their part. There's a tech guy. There's a there's an old old spy on the team. There's it's it's great. Also has quirky personalities, which is something Ocean's Eleven has going for it too. With the like the the the, the quote twins that are not really twins. Um, the, they're I don't know. It's a, all these characters. I mean, you have to you think about uh, going back to the editing. This is a two hour movie that there's a lot of plot that happens as far as like the heist and everything goes. And yet you've got 11, not main characters, but you know, 11 protagonists that you're rooting for. And they, you have to have the movie has to establish who these people are and why you should care about them. And I think oceans 11 does a pretty perfect job of introducing each character, giving us what we need to know in like an economical sense. Like we, we we know what we need to know about Basher. We know what we need to know about, and the, the movie doesn't waste any time. And when it does take detours and waste a little time, it's with fun stuff like the poker scene. Like it's, that is wasted time, but it's it, it's not wasted on the viewer. It's it's not plot relevant, but it's not wasted for us. And I really yeah, I hear fireworks too. Yeah, talk dogs back, baby. Um, the uh, it's uh. Anyway, yeah, it's. I think. I think Ocean's Eleven. I don't know if it's necessarily the best heist movie, but I do think it is a pretty uh, quintessential heist movie, where others may 
be better for other reasons. Maybe acting gets better in other movies. Maybe, um, maybe thematic weight of character decisions gets better in other movies. I, I'm not saying it for sure does, but like, I don't know. Heat is a heist movie that I might say is a better movie than this, but it's not a, it's not better for the elements that are sort of core to heist movies, which is uh, team building and uh, sleight of hand almost in executing the, the heist. Oh, I'll throw out another one that I really love is Inside Man from Spike Lee. Is a, a, a love it, which also takes a different angle because it's it's not about the how will they how will they pull it off. It's how did they pull this off, and you're seeing it more from. Whereas uh, in Ocean's Eleven, you see it a lot from Terry Benedict's perspective. In Inside Man, you see it from the police perspective, which is completely absent in Vegas in uh, in Ocean's Eleven, but. It's uh, I think Spike Lee does a really has a really nice twist on the heist movie with with Inside Man. But anyway, I didn't want to I didn't want to uh, stray off too much talking about heist movies. But I do think that I like one one question about that. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm having trouble with with this movie. It's it's definitely a heist movie, but is it more a heist movie or a con man movie? And are the two is every heist movie a con movie? I don't think every heist movie is a con movie, but this one is both. I think solidly both. I think that there are heist movies that are about, that are probably more um, blunt and there's no con going on. I think that there's an. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Reservoir Dogs, not. No con. No no con. There's the. um, The taking of Pelham 123 has a heist element to it, and it's just about Mm -hmm. taking hostage. I mean, Dog Day Afternoon. There's no con there so i think i do think this is this is really good I, I it is interesting like i have seen some people try to draw a line one or the other and say like oh the sting isn't a heist movie it's a con movie but i think that sometimes it's just it can be both and i think this is mm-hmm. i think the heist here is dependent on their ability to con terry benedict yeah I I, def- I definitely agree with you. I don't think every heist movie is a con movie, but I'm thinking about it: is every con movie <laughs> then a heist movie? <clears throat> or maybe I'm getting to maybe this yeah, doesn't they, matter. In, in a way, yeah, in a way. I mean, maybe I've I've, I've only seen it once, David. I, I, probably both y'all have. Like Matchstick Men, I would call a con movie. I don't remember if there was like a big heist that that ran the whole two hours of that movie. You've or never not. seen it. I think there was like was I think there was an overall take. At the end, was they there? were trying to do their build-up to I mean, there probably was. Otherwise, what is that movie about? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's but, and it, it's yeah. dramatic uh, escalation, right? So if you're a con man movie, you, you eventually have the biggest con, or you have, like, what things are building towards. Right. Does that have to be a heist, or... I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm getting too... Uh, but, no, it's... It, too uh, semantic. I do think it, it involves... A lot of heist movies involve cons. I mean, like, Inception is a heist movie that... I was going to ask about Inception. It was one of the few movies I could think of where there was a heist that was a con where you're rooting for the the, the con artist to succeed, but you don't necessarily hate the mark. Yeah, that's hard to do. And that that seemed rare mm-hmm. for me. Or, um, it's not a heist movie, but like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. They're trying to... Uh, <clears throat> have you guys seen that movie? I have not. The original? Uh, been a while, but yeah. 
I think last time I saw it was on VCR, but they're they're trying to con this this one lady, and she's like she's rich, but she's she's really uh, you know, she's just kind of not very perceptive, but she's like she's nice. They just want the money. You kind of they're just well, they're they're scoundrels. Or like Brothers Bloom, same like a similar kind of thing. It's like the the Mark is kind of a nice lady, and but they're still trying to do their thing, and they learn a lesson kind of thing. <clears throat> yeah. Trading places is one that might fall into that kind of. Okay, while we're talking about the, the sort of the, the heist and the mark and the the take, um, I I, I want to run this by y'all. I'm 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 curious. It hit me for the first. I, I don't think I'd ever really thought about this before watching this movie, and that's. I think this is the first time that it hit me that I think that maybe this whole thing is all about Tess that I think I mean don't don't get me wrong Danny and the team love the money and the money is is what gets the team to do it but I think for Danny I think his main motivation behind all of this is I need to I need Tess to see that Terry treats her like an asset like something that he would trade away and I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think Tess is the main goal for Danny in this in this movie. I think I agree. Um, the one thing that you know in my recent watch, I think Tess, you know, Julia Roberts only has eight minutes of screen time and does does a great job and brings her iconography kind of with her. But she is kind of she's kind of a trophy that doesn't have much agency in this. That's true. It's the one thing that maybe doesn't hold up as well. It's, it's you could not make this movie this way <clears throat> nowadays. I do agree with your with your thesis though. Like it is all about Tess and kind of returning him to his status quo where he was, like back up on his perch. And you know, he's he's conning them for most of the movie about what this is really about, and like his his speech he practices is hiding hiding everything. It's like he he could uh, he could make money anyway. But there's there's one way he he knows how he can get Tess and and get revenge on the person who got his his trophy from him. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Is like I think it I think it's it's first the 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 starting point the the first strike of a match that begins this this uh, whole thing for for Danny is he's either sitting in prison thinking about and he knows about Tess and Terry and he's thinking how do I get Tess back. And I need to, I need to show her. I need to pull a job to get Tess away from Terry. And then he realizes, well, hey, we could steal one hundred and sixty million dollars <laughs> along the way. Like that would be, it would be pretty good. Like it, this just happens that this works out nicely. Where the way to get this guy to uh, reveal how much he actually values Tess is to take a bunch of his money for ourselves and then have him, you know. Uh, admit that uh, he would he would trade Tess to get it all back, but I don't know. TJ, have you thought about that? Yeah, I mean, I I do think it's all about Tess. I probably thought that for a little while. Uh, the two questions I always had regarding that were, why didn't Danny tell Rusty early? Because one hundred percent sure he knew Rusty was going to find out. Right? There's no way. I mean, they're they talk about the most important thing that they're all doing is the recon. Like 100% Rusty's going to find out Tess is there. And also, uh, 
Bernie Mac's character and uh, Ruben know that Tess, who Tess is, and know Danny's past with Tess. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, <laughs> I started going like in things you can't know with this, and I wonder how good Danny was before. Yeah, he went to jail at yeah. at this, and that this may have been the thing that pushed him into kind of elite uh, con man territory was having to get tests back. So I have a question for you, a plot question that here I here I was nodding earlier, like yeah, I understand it all now. But uh, there's something I think I've already forgotten, which is did Rusty did Rusty really not know about Tess's involvement in this situation? Or was that something he... Is that part of the... Sometimes they con other members of the team in this movie. Uh, That conversation happens with just Danny and Rusty in the room. Okay. When Rusty says, like... um, Okay. If you have to choose between the money or Tess, what's it going to be? Remember, Tess doesn't split 11 ways. That's just the two of them. Yeah. So I don't know why... Why wouldn't Danny bring Rusty in on that? Right, because Rusty does end up, you know, conning the other nine into letting them... They're not in on the fact that Danny was never really off the job. Danny and Rusty had that planned all along. I think that... Apparently so they could could trust Linus. Yeah, this sort of leads into, David, what you wanted to talk about with heist movies, which is sort of like the sleight of hand with the viewer, I guess. Like, Mm -hmm. does... do the movies, the heist movies kind of have to hold back certain things from us? Yeah, it, it, I think it's like the Ocean's 11 versus Ocean's 12 litmus test there. It's like, how much can a heist movie con you where it feels, it feels like fun and it doesn't feel like cheating? I guess that that's the real thing. I think there's a lot here that... Uh, I think Brent, you put it a, a really good way. Is your your observational point switches at a certain point in the movie? Like the viewer is, is omniscient with the planners, and then we're observing. Um, there's there's things like the SWAT team thing, the the doctor, the fake heart attack. Like that was not in any of the planes that we as the audience saw. Uh, um, <clears throat> talking behind Linus's back and and Bruiser, like who, who's Bruiser, the the little guy who the guy who roughs up uh, Danny and all that. Like, we didn't, that wasn't in any of the plans we saw. Um, How much of it can you stand as an audience member before you feel like it's just screenplay cheating? I guess, like, it's kind of like a feel thing. Like, this feels like it works. And for me, 12 feels like it works only because it's leaning so far heavy into the, like, how much of a cheat you can go. I think it's on purpose in, like, in that meta aspect is we're going to push the entire movie through that. And see if you can stomach it. Yeah, twelve's interesting because they don't steal the egg when you think they're stealing the egg. Mm-hmm. But earlier when I said it doesn't matter, I, I misspoke because it still matters to the test of Ocean's Twelve, right? Mm-hmm. Like they need to steal the egg. So uh, what's his name? The French guy, the Night Fox. Yeah, the Night Fox. I, I can't his remember name. Le- I want to say Lafleur, but I think I'm just dodgeballing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, they need to steal the fake egg. It's super important that they steal the fake egg so they can get the secondary con on. Yeah. 
Which is, you get, you get a little bit of that in Ocean's Eleven, too. I think Ocean's Thirteen is also interesting to bring in on this. Did you watch Ocean's Thirteen recently, too, David, you yeah, said? Yeah, I did. Because that, there's almost none of this. You know mm-hmm. what the plan is. You see the plan enacted the way that they told you it was going to happen. And it mm-hmm. still works. It's not as good, but it, it's still entertaining. Uh, and there's no, like, twist there, really. Um, you just kind of see the plan play out. So I think all three of them do do it differently. I think for for me, I think as long as we aren't shown any characters doing anything that isn't believable after we know what happens, then I'm okay with it. Like I'm okay with like, as long as it, the rusty Danny conversation is, is a good example in, um, in oceans 11 about the, the conversation about tests. Like, as long as I'm not shown conflicting information later that says that Rusty knew for sure all along that this whole this was part the, the the two goals of this were take money take tests that as long as we're not shown that later then I don't have to go back and think like well why are they they're having that conversation for me as long as I don't feel like a conversation or, or anything happening on screen is just happening for me to be fooled then I'm okay I think. In- it needs the right purpose, right? Because it can't just be two people lying to you <laughs> that has no like no bearing, right? Or it, it doesn't serve a purpose for the con or the heist or or whatever. To put it another way, I know Saul. Saul if verbal if verbal Kit was just talking in a room by himself, that movie would have sucked. <laughs> yeah. If he was looking at the camera, like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Um, it, like the uh, but the, like the stuff with Saul I know in this movie is is sometimes mentioned as like tricking the audience, but I don't I feel like it's I thought you said Saul for a second and I was like wow where is Brett going with this Yeah Saul. you know when Saul has to reach his hand into the contraption and shred his forearm pieces No uh, when uh, when Saul is dealing with like his some people I, I think have don't know for sure if he's like putting on an act for to fool us or if um, mm-hmm. kind of what to make of Saul's uh, issues with, you know, his coughing fits, like what, which of his ailments are real and which are not real. It's sort of like a question that some people have with this movie. And um, I'm okay. Not knowing every single instance, just because they do establish that Saul is a method actor because when he's sitting there watching TV and they, they try to talk to him and he's like, I'm Lightman Zerga. I will kill you. If, and there's like, Hey Saul, you need to cut that out for a minute. We're trying to talk for real here. He's like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is that at least um, where if he is, if he does act in a way that's not always believable for, um, for what we know, then there, I think I fall back to that at least, which is they've, they've, they've put in something that makes me think he does, He's always performing. He's the actor of the truth. I think most. I think most of the Saul stuff is there from. They they want us to think that right. That's the Danny asking the tailor to leave the room. Like Saul, are you sure you can do this? Like that is they're baiting us into. Oh, Saul mm-hmm. might might mess this yeah. up. Um, and I don't know without that scene if we worry much about it. I didn't find myself worrying that the. I. I I mean, again, I, I knew they were going to succeed. I've seen the movie a lot, but I don't know if I ever, in my first watch, even thought they wouldn't. Yeah. Not even in a this movie wouldn't work if they failed point, but just in a they're so dang cool, you know. It's the only heist trope that them. Ocean's Eleven doesn't do well, 
which is like they don't they don't really even wade into that territory of like the the whole like you the audience being concerned about whether this will work or not i think part of casting george clooney and brad pitt and matt damon and having this team that you that's put together that's so awesome is just there's this inherent knowledge that they will succeed which makes the the way that Soderbergh tells the story even more important because he has to keep us in suspense of the how and not the whether or not. Um, and I, I think it's, I yeah. think it's really good for the, for that reason. Um, anything else you want to talk about in the movie or you, you want to talk about the cast a little bit? Yeah. I want to talk about the cast. I decided this is my favorite George Clooney performance mm. <laughs> says the guy who said the cast didn't matter. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I watched, I've, I've never seen out of sight. I went back and watched, or I went and watched it yesterday. Uh, not nearly as good as this, in my opinion. Mm. I don't think. Interesting. I don't think Brent's seen it or hadn't I seen, it, seen in it a long time. time. I know it tends to be somewhat polarizing. I don't think people hate that movie, but I think it's people either I think like it okay or overwhelmingly love that movie. Um, I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think that this is George Clooney kind of massaging his out of sight mode. I guess it's like a, a elevation of that kind of style. So it doesn't feel as, as uh, I don't know, as innovative or unique. Like he's already kind of been smooth in a Soderbergh movie and he's, he's got his, his charming low grumble. But I have not seen Out of Sight in a long time. I know that's he is a little schlubbier in that movie. Like he's, you know, he's not always looking the best. It's Ocean's Eleven if nothing works, essentially, in that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, the only other movie I could think where he's cool, like super cool, in is uh, um, the vampire movie, the Robert Rodriguez from Dust Till Dawn. Uh, Dust Till Dawn. He's a super cool guy there, and and I was listening to uh, the the Ringers movie podcast. Uh, they had an Ocean's Eleven episode a while ago, and they made a really good point that I I want to make and give them credit for, which was. George Clooney's so over the top when he's being serious and so over the top when he's like, uh, they said he turns into Buster Keaton when he does like slapstick comedy. And it's like, man, how have I not seen that before when he gets like wide eyed and goofy, it works amazing. in some movies, a brother art thou, mm-hmm. but, but sometimes it's just like so over the top. And this is just like the, the tone that Clooney was born to play. It felt like it was Danny Ocean. Um, I think you, it's just, <clears throat> You hit the nail on the head there because it's if you had to distill or describe Clooney in a very simple way, like what are his best gifts as an actor? I think it's just exuding coolness and he's handsome. He's debonair while also being relatable. Uh, He's not like as uh, he's not like James Bond like on screen, but he's uh, he has a coolness that is relatable. And I think Danny Ocean is the perfect encapsulation of that. I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of his more well-regarded movies. He is really good in the descendants. Um, but I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if this is necessarily his best performance for me, but I, I don't disagree. I can't really name anything that I like a lot better, but I, I do think that this is maybe his most like quintessential, like Clooney movie for, for me. I'd also advocate for Michael Clayton a bit. I don't know. Never seen it. It's probably in my top three. Michael Clayton's is is a five star movie for me, and it's it's him playing as like part of this, but also a little like he's he's unnerved and a little little mm-hmm. off his off his feet a little bit. 
he's good and oh, yeah, he, might be right. he's good and up in the air. Although that, that's not a movie I like as much as a lot of critics and like awards did at the time. But I, I, I do think he's good in a movie that I think is just sort of pretty good. Um, but yeah, he doesn't really have a lot of standout performances for me. Um, anybody else in the cast you want to highlight? How about Elliot Gould? I love, I love him as Ruben. It's fantastic. Every, every moment he's on screen, you are drawn to the next I thing love he's his, gonna say. his narration of the top three stores yeah. in Las Vegas is so good. Like the <laughs> the different movie styles or camera styles and the different songs, but also his narration of it is just so it that makes that like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is him talking about the top three scores, attempted scores in Vegas. It's really good. The 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 two shockers for this last uh, watch for me that I didn't remember being as good as they were. Brent mentioned it earlier. I thought Julia Roberts was really good, and I didn't remember her being that good in this. I've kind of I think I probably would have thought before this that she was just kind of like they got a superstar to play the role, but she's fantastic. Uh, but more so than her, Bernie Mac is amazing in this movie. He's awesome. <laughs> so He's I really like him. Very awesome. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't remember that happening at all. Not a big fan of. I don't know a lot of his work, honestly. I mean, it would be hard for me to tell you movies he was in right now outside of the Oceans films, but he is just... And he continues it in 12 and 13. He's mm-hmm. just great in both those movies. I've heard... I don't know if uh, if this is true or not, but I've heard the a lot of the dialogue with Matt Damon in the um, the the scene with Terry was um, improvised, and Damon didn't know some of that was coming, and which makes it even funnier now. I mean, Matt, Bernie Mac is just perfect in that scene because there's there's a chunk of the movie where I'm not entirely sure why why Bernie Mac is on the team. Like there are times when I'm just like, why is Frank part of? Why is Frank so important to this? And then there's that moment. I was like, oh man, they needed Frank at that table in that moment because very few people could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they do a really good job just talking about the cast of uh, Brent and I had talked a few weeks ago about if there was a like who if you had to do oceans 10, who would you get rid of? And the heist doesn't work without, I mean, 11 of them. You could probably dump one of the drivers, yeah. I guess maybe, but, um, they do a good job of making them all pretty necessary. Um, or, or while we're talking about the cast, are we going to talk <laughs> yes, about, I was about to bring him up the Don Cheadle of it all. Okay. Where, yeah. how do you feel about Basher in this movie? I won't begrudge any opinion on Basher. I, I mean, love him or absolutely hate him. I can't really, I can't it's, really argue with it, either. It's neither. It's, I, I think, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> I mean, the, and 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 I don't. You know, we used to always say like nobody sets out to make a bad movie. Uh, Don Cheadle, I think, has come out and said like, yeah, it's bad. Oh, he wanted to drop it in twelve and thirteen, and they were like, no, <laughs> too late, buddy. They would let him. Yeah, you, you made a choice. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, it does... Work is the wrong word. <laughs> but it does make me laugh. It is funny. I'll, yeah. gi- I'll give it that. Talk about, like, um, like these characters feeling, like, unique and specific. There is, like, no other character that sounds like the Don Cheadle character, Basher Tar. <laughs> I think that, like... I don't... Obviously, it's not, like, a movie breaking performance for me i love this movie and I, and i'm fine with the scenes that he's in but he is the character that most 
uh, kind of the only one in this movie that is every time he talks, I'm just like, oh yeah, this is a movie. Like this is <laughs> this is uh, that's Don Cheadle doing an accent rather than this is a character. He just doesn't feel like a real character to me. See, for me, halfway through, I kind of just like you just go with it that that's that's his thing, or maybe like some headcanon is he's not actually British and this is just his 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 guys that he's working with like pretending to be british or something but it didn't bother me at a certain point in the movie like i go beyond the mendoza line and, or so much exposure to it and i just just go with it uh you know dot Cheadle appears uncredited yes in this it's movie? weird that's, yeah that's crazy there's like a contentious like salary credit placement thing huh. with him and they resolved it by twelve and thirteen. So they were having some. Yeah, they were having some Barney with it. <laughs> you know, God. Barney Rubble. The I trouble. Think, I still think the the most confusing part of this movie is Basher's heist because it's just him narrating it, and I have no idea what went wrong <laughs> in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, no, they found him. Like the alarm goes off, and he's. I do think he's the least essential member of this team because really all that I know he does is he just. Uh, tells them about a well-known piece of technology i guess at, at the time and just tells them where they can find it and then they have to go get it with him but like there's 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 a really weird part of the movie the last time i watched it where he's telling them about the pinch and they're like is there a pinch big enough to take out las vegas and he's like yeah and they're like where is it and there's this long like it's just Don Cheadle on screen, like, oh, is it in the White House or something? It's like, no, oh, it's at Cal yeah. Berkeley. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, a four-hour drive. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not that bad. Yeah. Oh, good. Re- College. You can steal he that. He does give him a yeah. look like, oh, this is going to be, we're going to have to do a heist just to finish this heist. We're going to have to do a heist before the heist. So, nope. We're just going to have to break it. Nope. Walk in. Open a garage door. Yeah. Pull it out. We're good. The hardest part of that was just making Matt Damon stay in the car. Uh, speak, speaking of uncredited cast, David, did you catch Viola Davis in this movie? No, until you said she was in it, and I guess uh, she's in the. Is she voice only in this? She's uh, yeah, she's parole board member number one who asks Danny the questions at the beginning. I wonder if she was filmed in any way. How big of a star was she in two thousand one? Well, she was in Out of Sight with Cheeto uh, and Clooney. Could have been just like a directorial favor, sort of. Yeah, Out of Sight, which also I didn't know until I watched it. Michael Keaton reprises his role from Jackie Brown in Out of Sight. (laughs) Weird. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh well, is is Out of Sight uh, based on an Elmore Leonard novel? Yeah. Because okay, that would make sense. That's cool. Um, Yeah, trying to think if there's any. there is one oh there's one actor i think who's in the original oceans 11 and the 2001 remake do you know who it is it is isn't isn't there a cameo isn't angie dickinson in both i don't she's like cameo of the famous vegas people at the fight oh if she is then there's two because there's somebody else at the fight and it's uh uh, henry silva is an actor who's in Ocean's Eleven. He was in a lot of also like really good um, Italian crime movies of the seventies. But Henry Silva is he's he makes an appearance at the I think at the fight. Um, but that's a little bit of trivia. Uh, any any more cast stuff you want to talk about? I mean the twins are fine. 
There's I got one kind of Ocean's Thirteen leading question about Livingston Dell. I think he's good in this as like the nervy, mm-hmm. the nervy uh, tech guy, and. In 13, he, like, gets arrested, and then, like, one of the Malloy twins, one of the the truck twins, ends up doing all of his hacking for him. It kind of, like, you know, retcons that Livingston Dell is not that important. But, again, to your point, TJ, that could just be part of the the play that they're, that they're putting on for the Night Fox at that point. Well, too, yeah, I think you get a little bit of kind of, they're all... All 11 of them are really good at a thing. And they're kind of all 11 also pretty good at everything else. Yeah. Like, I mean, Danny does the sleight of hand on, on Matt Damon's character better than Matt Damon can. And uh, Rusty sets off the explosive when he frees Basher. There's little stuff like that. But, yeah, that, that Notions 13 was kind of like, oh, well. They also have to go find the guy who can make the egg. Just like... <laughs> feel like y'all should have that guy it's oceans 12 i get maybe he's the 12th i don't know um let's move to soderbergh before we wrap up uh what do you first off like what do you think of soderbergh as a director i think his like i guess I'll, I'll i'll start with i think his the kind of the thing that stands out in his movies for me is like his color shading. And I know that's probably one of the most mentioned things. And I don't know that it's as prevalent in oceans 11 as it is in other movies of his, that era, like traffic definitely has, it's very, it's like all I remember from traffic. Oh yeah. Uh, Magic Mike has a lot of it too. He's still doing it to this day. It's definitely in, in 11 because it opens and everything's blue in the Mm. prison. Yeah. And then when, when Danny ocean, like it's iconically like on that escalator riding up and he's like, is the goatee's gone and he's in a in a tux. Like finally, like like everything is amber and red backgrounds as like you're in the Vegas now. So there is that scene setting of like now we're back to his world a little bit. Yeah, I think I think it's it's done really well in traffic. I think it is done in Ocean's Eleven a little yeah, more Yeah, not as not as in the forefront. Well, let me ask There are parts of traffic where it felt like he was holding a blue <laughs> filter in front of the camera. Yeah, yellow, yellow filter, filter yeah. in front of the camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is this uh, where does this stand among your favorite Soderbergh movies, David? <sighs> That's tough. I gotta think of all the Soderbergh movies. He's so prolific, and he even like announced retirement, and then like he's like, just kidding. I'm gonna keep making movies and TV yeah, shows like and like, ago. Yeah. web series and and like art installations. He's like one of the most like successful like experimental filmmakers. I feel like. Everything seems like a, a ch- like he does it for a challenge or like a genre exercise or artistic endeavor that he does. It's definitely up there. Um, let's see what on here. Uh, I really like Out of Sight. Haven't seen it in a very long time. I really loved Traffic when it came out when I was like fifteen. I, it might be a little uh, might be a little schmaltzy now if I or melodramatic if I watched it again. Um, Really love the informant. I saw that a couple of years ago. Again, uh, since it came out, I really uh, like that one. the The movies he's been doing for like HBO or for direct Netflix the last couple of years, they've all been like in the fine range, but nothing that crazy for me. So, also like Logan Lucky is just really funny. So it's definitely top five. Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven in Appalachia. Yeah, yeah. it's great. What about you, How TJ? How about you, Brent? Oh, for me? 
Yeah, I think this is my favorite Soderbergh movie, but I also haven't seen a handful of his sort of hallmarks. So I haven't seen Sex, Lies, and Videotape. I haven't seen uh, Aaron Brockovich. I haven't seen Out of Sight recently enough to, to confidently rank it, or or Traffic for that matter. Um, I haven't seen... Apparently the, the two movies he made about Che Guevara were pretty good. Um, people people seem to like those. Um, I, I've seen uh, some of his more recent ones. I've seen Contagion. I thought it was fine. I thought uh, Haywire was fine. It, it, I mean, even like enjoyable, but just not particularly memorable. I actually think Ma- Magic Mike's a pretty good movie. I, I do like that movie a lot. I haven't seen the, the third one that he made. I thought Side Effects was pretty good, although I can't remember a lot of specifics about it. I do remember really enjoying Side Effects as sort of a, I think it was uh, as a thriller. Um, Logan Lucky, mm-hmm. I agree, is, is pretty great. Um, a little below Ocean's Eleven for me, but it's still very, very enjoyable. And then I've, oh, Unsane is another fun movie that is not great, but it's fun and, and very enjoyable. And then um, I saw The Laundromat, which is easily the, my least favorite Soderbergh movie. Did not like that movie at all. Thumbs down. Did not like it either. Um, but no, I, I really need to see. I, I like most of his stuff that I've seen, so I, w- I wouldn't mind see, catching things like The Limey or Schizopolis or Sex, Lies, and Videos, some of his earlier stuff. But um, Yeah, this is my favorite. Yeah, I need to see all those you haven't seen, too. Um, it's Ocean's Eleven for me. I think Logan Lucky's probably a close second. Um and, and yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything Britt said on what I've seen, which is Magic Mike's pretty good. Unsane is pretty good. I, I will say also add, I'll add, I'll add, add his uh, Oscar telecast from a few years ago when uh, he stuck the um, Anthony Hopkins best actor win at the very end of the the, uh, the telecast. I'm still, con- I'm still convinced he knew about it. I'm convinced he knew what was in that envelope and just wanted to to completely shut down the all the award the hollywood award people with uh the heist of the century where was he when that was happening that's what i want to know um okay so we give a hearty thumbs up that's not what this podcast does that's trademarked we can't give thumbs we can't do any sort of digits in uh (laughs) pro or con i give two two toes but uh, yeah, we we unsurprisingly all still really like Ocean's Eleven. It's good to see. Uh, do you have, do you think there's any any more like you want to uh, talk about like the the legacy of this movie now in 2022, 2023, 2021, 2024? <laughs> any pick a year, any year. But what's the what's the legacy of Ocean's Eleven now, David? I think it's hard not to think of a new heist movie that comes out without thinking it's Ocean's something. Or you'll see probably like a pithy variety article that calls it like Oceans, blah, blah, blah. Like even if Soderbergh does it, it's Oceans Appalachia for Logan Lucky or, you know, Oceans on a boat if someone tries to heist a boat. So it's kind of like... like the, the, it's, the new, it's the new Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I think it's probably like the... Uh, it's the, the most successful like pinnacle of its genre now. So it's like... It's like the Die Hard of it. And I, uh, I also watched uh, the Rick and Morty uh, episode that is about heist films, and it, it very much, uh, you know, it's very much taking on this movie. And they talk about Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Twelve. That's what the uh, we can't curse, but the uh, the meme, son of a blank, I'm in. 
thing. I don't know if you guys have seen that or, or watched that show, but... <laughs> TJ, no. TJ, what, what are you? <laughs> There's a lot of disdain for the heist movie genre in that, but um, I think it's got a pretty one pretty clear thing. I think that while Soderbergh isn't going to be, he's not Steven Spielberg, he's not Chris Nolan, and just that he puts out these incredible movies over and over and over again. Um, but this does give a prolific director who does my favorite thing as a director could do which is take chances and make movies in different ways and he gives a very good very successful movie that you can at least point to uh if you're talking to somebody who doesn't follow directors or doesn't keep up with that aspect of movies and say like you should give this guy a chance if you ever see his name attached to anything he's the guy who did oceans 11 he's the guy who did a great movie that is easy to watch and made a bunch of money and you know relaunched some superstars and carried on some superstars and, and launched some superstars and I don't without the ocean series I don't think that he has that I mean you're pointing to like Aaron Brockovich or traffic at this point movies that are you know kind of forgotten um, but I think this gives him a good yeah you know, a good little notch on yeah. his filmography he's got a lifetime blank check now movie made like almost right. 500 million dollars I've heard this question before, not about this movie, but I think this, I think Ocean's Eleven is my answer to this question, which is, what is the most universally recommendable movie that you can think of? N- not in the way that I think it's the best movie I've ever seen, but it's just a movie, like, if I had to put money on, like, picking a movie that just, no matter who I'm recommending to, do I think they can enjoy this movie? And I think, if you had, like, a Rotten Tomatoes score for, like, what percentage of viewers could could enjoy a movie... I think Ocean's Eleven is my pick for like the highest percentage because I just feel like everyone can enjoy this movie. I, I don't know. I, there's not a lot to dislike about it. I can understand not latching on and absolutely loving this movie, but like I watched this with Ashley a few weeks ago. She'd never seen it. She'd never seen Ocean's Eleven. And then I asked her tonight right before I came up to record, I said, by the way, what'd you think of Ocean's Eleven? And she smiled. She said, oh, it was fun. And that was it. But like, I feel like that's going to be everybody's response. So I think for me, that's one of its lasting qualities. This is a movie that's always going to have life on cable television. It's always going to have life on streaming services because there's just always an audience for this. I mean, it's it's also its legacy has remained pretty undamaged. I mean, the, I guess Casey Affleck being in this is something that's might make some people you know enjoy watching it a little bit less which i understand but you know for the most part he's fairly minor in the movie too so that helps but uh for the most part it's it's a it's a movie that just i think it's one of the most accessible movies that there is it's just it's pure entertainment for what it's worth the uh tomato the tomatometer has an 80, 83%, oh, which on. I feel is crazy low for that. Wait, is that the critic or the I audience? Mean, it's the uh, critical is 83, audience is 80. What? Weird. It's, it's, that's crazy low, right? Weird. I would have yeah. thought it was both at least in the 90s. It's very weird. I'm trying to think of something, Brent. That's a good question. That that I mean, the, the only thing I can think of is a movie that I know is beloved by most and I'm a, not as high on them as as some and, but maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark is kind of a 
it's not as like it can't be Jurassic Park, right? That's too much science fiction. That's too much like maybe scary. Raiders is pretty scary. Raiders is yeah. The end is a little rough. I guess Raiders also has some religious yeah stuff going on that might offend people. Yeah, yeah. I've also watched Raiders recently. Also, like some people don't like gore. Some people aren't gonna like watching dinosaurs eat human beings but i just feel like there's there's right, not a yeah. lot in oceans 11 that's going to be objectionable no, other than like i guess some people aren't going to like the way ruben talks throughout the movie but he also gets the only f-bomb in the I mean, movie I mean, people that work for casinos yeah. not a big fan <laughs> the, they probably would be the ter- probably the ter- oh yeah probably i'm sure they do but not to uh, echo something that I heard on another podcast, but it was a really good point, and I heard a really good joke, but uh, again, on the, the Ringers podcast, they were talking about how uh, Vegas and the, the Bellagio, the Mirage, the MGM Grand all signed off on this movie yeah. being made. So if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that this is not how <laughs> their money <Yeah>. works. <laughs> they're they're completely uh, secure. This is so far away from they're, how it actually works. They're not worried yeah. at all. Uh, awesome. Well, uh, contrary to what we did in last week, I mean, three years ago's episode, we're, we're not going to pick out anything else for us to watch at this moment. We'll just be back with another episode once we've watched something that we're ready to talk about. Um, this was... The clues are hidden throughout this That's podcast. true. We did drop a lot of hints. Uh, <laughs> so really the only way for you to be prepared would be to go back and listen to this. Actually, maybe invite some friends to listen as well and then piece it all together. But um, anyway, that wraps up this episode. Uh, I got to say, this was a lot of fun. I'm really glad we did this again. Me too. Please, please <laughs> tell me you had fun David too. For a second. <laughs> Pass. Yeah, it was great. Pass. <laughs> it's like, and they've already ended the call. Um, <laughs> one, one time David and I were podcasting and uh, he meant to stop his recording and he just clicked the call off. He just hung up on me and when we were, <laughs> we're done. It's like, all right. I hope he left the recording on Bye. there for like, you're David, you're David like <laughs> eating oatmeal. And <laughs> yeah, it's like super eat, loud burps. I could finally eat my yeah. oatmeal. <laughs> God, that took forever. I hate that guy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, that Pan's Labyrinth made me so hungry for my oats. <laughs> you can, yeah, we've. You can tell uh, oatmeal's on my mind. Just having a child. It's like, oh, you're hungry. I don't know. Oatmeal <laughs> seems good. Yeah, that's a very specific go-to. By the way, that's what that's yeah. what we've been doing for the last three years. Just having having kids, having babies. So. Um, yes, but yeah, we'll. Uh, We'll be back with another episode at some point. So uh, hopefully you listened to this and didn't think there was an error with your podcasting app and uh, just mass delete everything thinking there was a glitch. But uh, yeah, we really are back. And um, thanks for joining us. Thanks, TJ. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, David. Thanks, TJ and Brent. Yeah. David, you'll get thanks <laughs> later, maybe, and after your oatmeal. Click. <laughs> And uh, yeah, anyway, um, that's it. Is our, I guess there's uh, just just subscribe and leave us a rating. That's that's all we have to ask of you now. <laughs> We've lowered our standards. Yeah, we don't have anything for you to do. Yeah. 
There's no social. Say hi, say hi if you see us. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> anyway, all right. Well, that was fun, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know. I know a rock is a rock. I know a dog is a doggy. And I know there are three spatial dimensions, but there's only one planet Earth. All we got's one planet Earth.